The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, I'm uh, very excited to be back with y'all. Uh, I was uh, gone for a week, but it feels right to be home. And many thanks to uh, the good Dr. Grant Carey for filling in for me last week. I've heard wonderful things, and so thanks for doing that, man. And um, just glad to be back. And we're starting a new series today called The Story. And uh, the idea with The Story is, is we're going to take an entire year and go through the entire narrative of Scripture. And so basically uh, from now until summer, basically end of May, we're going to go through the Old Testament. And then come summer, we're going to take a few months off to some different, I'm not take months off of church, but we're going to take a few months off of the series. Uh, and, and, then, uh, and then we'll come back in the fall and we'll do the New Testament in the fall. And so that's the plan is to go through the entire narrative of Scripture uh, using the story uh, in this next year, that 2015 is the year of the story, and we're doing this with our brothers and sisters down at Axe Church Lakeway as well. And, and our hope is that as we do the story, that it's not just me up here, that the only experience you get of the story isn't just me on a Sunday morning, but we're actually, we have the books called the story, which is just, it's basically the Bible written in a, a nice narrative form to read, uh, for sale for five bucks in the back, and so our hope is that we're reading through that together as a congregation. And then also our small groups have study guides that go along with the story. And so if you're not a part of a small group, plug in with one today. We got sign-ups today. Sign up for one of those and really experience this, this whole narrative of God's story and, and dig through that together as a church. I want to encourage you to do that, that, that we'd be enriched by God's word. Okay, so that's the what of the series. But here's the why. Why? Why would we do this series? Why spend an entire year to go over the entire narrative of Scripture? Because here's why. When you boil it all down, the Bible ultimately, when you boil it all down, the Bible ultimately is a story. It's a story. It's a true story. It's based in history and real time and space, but it's a story. It's the story of the creator God as he engages with his creation. And what I love is that God's primary way of revealing himself to us is a story. I love that because there's nothing more powerful than a good story, right? There's something about a good story that has this power to impact us in ways that other things don't. Like, so for example, if I, I'm here and, uh, and I say to you all this morning, I say, hey, you should forgive your enemies. Forgive the people that wrong you. Like, that's good. That's true. It's a good thing to do. But if instead of just telling you to do that, I said, hey, you know what? Um, my mother-in-law, when she was five, this is a true story, her, her father abandoned her. And she didn't see him for 30 years. And 30 years later, she found out where he lived. And and she called him up on the phone. And she booked a ticket from northern Wisconsin and flew down to Florida where he was living. And she knocked on his door and told him that she forgave him. Now, there's a power to that, right? It's it's one thing to, to hear a truth. It's another thing, an entirely different experience to experience that truth lived out in a story. See, stories are very, very powerful, and our culture gets this big time, right? We see this all over the media, all over our culture. Culture loves story, right? If you look at, like, the top podcasts right now uh, on iTunes, all three of them, well, the top three are are all story-based. You got This American Life, which is a collection of stories based on a theme. You have The Moth, which is true true stories told live without notes. And then you have uh, Serial. I don't know, is anyone, any serial fans, you guys get caught up in the hype? There we go, okay, right? So it's crazy, it's, it's shattering records. It's the most popular podcast of all time. And all it is is one story told week in and week out over multiple episodes. 
That's just podcasts. But then we look at other media. We look at TV shows, right? Anyone else excited? Downton Abbey's on tonight? No? Okay. There's a reason y'all binge watch Breaking Bad. It happens. It's a, it's a catchy story. And even music is about storytelling, right? Those of you that are country music fans, you get this, right? That's every country music song is just a story, right? Skydiving, Rocky Mountain. I know, it's older. It's the only country song I know. Um, but it, it's transcending musical genres. I just listened to an interview with uh, Kendrick Lamar, who's, I think, the best rapper out there right now. And he said for him, as I'm quoting him, he said, for him, when it, when it comes to writing, it's not about putting words together that rhyme, but it's about telling a story. See, we love story. And so what's the deal? Why is our culture so fascinated with story? Oh, well, there's a guy, he's the, the story guru. He literally wrote the book on it. Uh, people call his book the Screenwriter's Bible. Uh, Robert McGee is his name. Um, and and he, he has a suggestion as to why our culture is so obsessed with story. I'm going to read this quote to you. It'll be up on the screen. Robert McGee says this, Traditionally, humankind has sought the answer to Aristotle's question, which is, what is the good life, uh, from the four wisdoms, philosophy, science, religion, art, taking insight from each to blot together a livable meaning. But today, who reads Hegel or Kant without an exam to pass? Science, once the great expliciter, garbles life with complexity and perplexity. Religion, for many, has become an empty ritual that masks hypocrisy. As our faith in the traditional ideology diminishes, we turn to the source we still believe in, the art of story. I love that quote, because that's my hope for us this series. That, that instead of, of being a people that take part in, in empty rituals and, and mask hypocrisy, my hope is that we actually dig deep into these stories. That we dig deep into God's story and that as we find ourselves in God's story, we find our stories in there, we find our purpose, we find what he's called us to as we understand who he is and how he's worked in the world. And so let's get going, all right? Scripture begins, the story of Scripture begins with God creating the universe. Good place to start. But what I want us to look at today is, is how the way that creation narrative in Genesis sets the stage for how we understand the world now. How does the creation narrative in Genesis set the stage for how we understand the world now? Uh, because the way a story begins tells us a lot about the way things are now, right? The way a story begins tells us a lot about the way things are now. Uh, here's what I mean. Like, let's just, let's talk about our, uh, our nation, okay? If you were to boil down all the political dialogue that we have as a country, if you were to boil it all down to one issue, that one issue would be, I would, in my opinion, would be personal liberty. You boil it all down, that's what it comes down to, right? Whether you sit on the right or the left, the dialogue ultimately boils down to personal liberty. And so conservatives say, hey, hands off my money. Liberals say, hey, hands off my body. And then libertarians just say, hands off everything, right? And, and so, so that's the deal. It's personal liberty. Now, why is that? Well, look at the beginning of our story as a nation, we started a revolution because someone imposed on our personal liberty, right? Taxation without representation. Drop that tea, tea into the ocean, brother. Let's go, right? So it's no surprise that to this day, we as a country consistently wrestle with the limits of personal liberty. The way a story begins tells us a lot about the way things are. 
And so what does the beginning of God's story tell us about the way things are right now? What does the beginning of God's story tell us about the way things are right now? It tells us three things. It was good. It went bad. There's hope. Okay, we're pretty simple this morning. It was good. It went bad. There is hope. So if you were to read through, let's go. It was good. If you were to read through the first chapter of Genesis, you'd see God creates everything. He speaks things into existence. And after he creates everything, he says it's good. Very good. All right. So he says land, good. Sky, good. Water, good. Dogs, good. Cats, terrible. And, and um, I only say that because I have a soul, okay? So, um, and, uh, and no, he says everything he creates, he says it's good. And then we get to our text for today, and God creates humanity. And so if you guys look with me at verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God creates everything and he says that it's good. And then he gets to the the pinnacle of his creation. He gets to humanity. And he says, let's make man in our image. And then the the author of this text, just so everyone catches it, wants to be sure that everyone understands that both male and female are created in God's image. And so this is an intentional move by the author. What he's trying to get us to see is, listen, don't miss this. Every person is made in the image of God. There's no exception. Yeah, there's no exception. And see... This is very important for us to understand. This is a doctrine we call the Imago Dei. It's Latin for the image of God. The image of God. And it is a massive truth that has massive implications for how we as Christians approach the world. Massive implications for it. See, the beginning of God's story says that every single person bears his image. In other words, every human being is a reflection of the divine creator of the universe. And there's all sorts of truths we can pull from that. But at the core of that idea of the imago Dei, of the image of God, means that every single person has inherent value. It means that every single person has inherent worth and inherent dignity because they bear the image of God. And you get why this is so important, right? Like if you look throughout history and you look at the times when the beginning of God's story is pushed to the side, the result is always disaster. When we forget that every single, Im- every single person bears the image of God, when we forget the beginning of God's story, the result is always disaster. Holocaust, genocide, infanticide, eugenics, slavery, oppression. It happens when we forget that this is where the story begins. And so let me make it contextual for us here. Black lives matter. Unborn lives matter. Handicapped lives matter. Criminal lives matter. Gay lives matter. Elderly lives matter. Syrian lives matter. And yes... Even Aggie lives matter, okay? See, this is where God's story starts. 
Every person is made in the image of God. We're all made to reflect him. And so because of that, every single person has inherent value and inherent worth because they're an image of God. But then it gets better. Look with me at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God creates humanity in his own image. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, making babies. But it's actually about something even deeper still. It's about relationships. What God's saying here is, is you people, you're meant to come together, that, that no one is meant to be an island, that we're meant to have family and friends and a community and people to be surrounded by and be with us. We're meant to connect. And so he gives us relationships here as a gift. Then he gives us something else. Not only does he give us relationships, in the same verse he gives us purpose. Look at it. He says, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion basically over all the earth. And that sounds a little weird to us, have dominion over all the earth. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean this, though, what we often think it does. It doesn't mean to dominate and exploit. It does mean to rule over. But it means to, to rule over the earth in such a way that it flourishes. It has this idea of cultivation. That God says to, to his uh, human creatures, he says, hey, you guys are in charge of, of making this thing flourish. You're in charge of, here it is, you guys take it to there. Move it forward. That our purpose as his image bears is to cultivate his creation, to produce things, to move things forward, to make art and music, to develop products and technology, to raise families and civilizations and cultures, to fill the earth in such a way that it flourishes. And so God gives us dignity and worth, he gives us relationships, he gives us purpose, and then he gives us pleasure. Look with me at verses 29 through 30. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And so here God gives us food to eat. He gives us food to eat. And he gives the animals food to eat. Which means there's no killing. There's no conflict. There's no hard labor. It just means there's just good food. It's just like a whole foods that everyone's hanging out in. Like that's the idea. It's just good food that we can sit in and enjoy. There's peace and harmony in all of creation. It's pleasure. And so the beginning of the story is a God who creates all things good. He makes humanity in his image, gives us dignity, gives us relationships, gives us purpose, gives us pleasure. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, we see he actually gives us one more thing. Look with me at Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
And someone says, okay, what does he give us here? Like a threat? Like what, what, is, what is this about? What's the deal with the tree? This is actually, this is best of all. This is actually God giving us himself. So you understand, up to this point, God says, hey, I've given you all this stuff, dignity and relationships and purpose and and pleasure, but but now I don't want that stuff to be ultimate in your life. That stuff's all good, but it's not me. I'm the ultimate good. That stuff can't be your ultimate. And so he places this tree, and so for us to understand it, I think a a better way to translate it that makes sense for, for how we talk now is to understand the tree, a better way to translate it is, it's the tree by which good and evil are known. It's the tree by which good and evil are known. And so basically, it works like this. You don't eat from the tree, then it's good. Then you're following God, you're pursuing God for his sake, and you get to enjoy all the gifts he's given. But to eat from the tree then is to disobey God. It's to enter into rebellion against him. It's evil. And so this tree is a dividing line. By placing this tree in the garden, God is saying, hey, will you choose me? Will you choose me not for what I can give you? Will you choose me not because it's, it's, it's a nice thing to do? Will you choose me just because I'm me, just because I'm your creator? Will you let me be your ultimate end? Will you pursue me ahead of everything else? That's why the tree's there. And so everything's good up till now. God gives us all this stuff. And he gives us himself. Then things go bad. And we see in the next chapter of Genesis that humanity does eat of this tree, right? And as they eat it, they enter into rebellion against the creator God. And they reject God's gift of himself. And by doing that, they seek to make themselves God. See, when they eat from the tree, they say, hey, we know better than God. He said we weren't supposed to do this, but we know better than he does. So what are they doing? They're putting themselves in the place of God. They're taking his seat. They're sitting on his throne. They're making themselves God. And see, when this happens, all manner of sin and brokenness and destruction and hardship and death enter into our world. And so humanity, the pinnacle of God's creation, that was supposed to steward and care for God's creation, actually ends up bringing about a cosmic fracture throughout the universe. And someone says, well, okay, Gabe, Sounds like a bit much, right? Like they ate a piece of fruit from a tree and all of a sudden the world is fallen. Yeah. Because you see what they've done. As St. Paul says in Romans 1.25, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served a created thing instead of the creator. How does this happen? Okay, it's basically uh, the plot of Into the Woods. Have any of y'all seen that yet? Okay, excellent. All right, very good, Adam. Um, well, I'm going to ruin it for you. Um, so, uh, so basically, so this last week, Melissa and I, my wife, we went to go see it. And, uh, and it's, it's good. The movie's really good. The film's really good. But, but Melissa and I are both theater kids. Uh, and, and so we, uh, we, saw the, we, we saw the play many years ago, and you know, we're, we're in on it. And, uh, and the play is, is a little different than the movie. And actually, it's really important, though, because it actually sets a different tone in the film. And so let me just lay out how it works. In, in the film and in the play, what happens is it's kind of your, it's like a, a different telling of your classic fairy tales. And so you've got this narrator who shows up, and in the play, he's actually on, on the stage, and, and he lays out what happens. And he talks about Red Riding Hood and Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk and Rapunzel. And the stories happen relatively similar to how you've, you've heard them and you know them, right? Uh, but then in Act 2... 
things start to get different. And this is where the play differs from the movie. See, in Act 2, the, uh, the giant that Jack stole a bunch of stuff from when he climbed the beanstalk, uh, his wife comes down. Well, Jack actually kills him, and then his wife comes down. And she's all upset because her husband's dead, and Jack stole all this stuff from him. And so she demands the blood of Jack, and she says, hey, give me that kid. I'm going to eat him because he killed my husband. And all the characters, all these fairy tale characters say, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. They say, instead of giving Jack over to you, you know what the problem is here. It's not Jack. The problem's not us. The problem's this narrator. He's been telling this story wrong the whole time. And so in the play, this doesn't happen in the movie, in the play, they feed the narrator to the giant. And that's when everything falls apart. Cinderella's prince has an affair. Uh, Jack's mother is killed by Rapunzel's prince. Red Riding Hood loses her mind, all because they kill the narrator. See, this is our story, right? This is Genesis 3. This is killing off the narrator. Anytime we place a created thing above the creator, we kill the narrator. Sin and destruction wreak havoc in our world. I mean, let's just, just look at like the list of the good things that, that we've talked about already. The good things that God gave us at the beginning of time. Good things that God gave us at the beginning of time. What happens when they become ultimate, when we place them above God? So we talked about him giving every human being dignity and worth. What happens when that becomes ultimate? Self-centeredness, selfishness, cruelty towards anyone that stands in your way. Relationships, those are great. They're good things. What happens when those become ultimate? A constant search for acceptance, suffocating those near you, unrealistic expectations of others, tribalism, exclusivism. Purpose, good thing. What happens when your purpose becomes ultimate? Workaholism. Arrogance, isolationism, pleasure, it's a good thing, pleasure's a good thing. What happens when that becomes ultimate? Lust, greed, addiction, that's what happens. See, when created things that are good become ultimate things, when they replace the creator, they put a hemorrhage that tears the fabric of the universe. So the beginning of life as we know it goes like this. God creates all things good. Humanity rebels against the creator God, and now sin and brokenness are all over us. Things were good, things went bad, but finally, there's hope. There's hope. See, after humanity falls into sin in Genesis 3, God drops the hammer, right? Lays down the law. Then he makes a promise of hope in Genesis 3.15. And, and this promise of hope, it actually comes while he's, he's cursing the devil. He's cursing Satan. Look, look with me at what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so God says to Satan, he says to the source of the one who brought sin and evil and destruction into this world, he says, hey, one day a human's going to be born. And this human is going to crush your head for good. And he's going to heal and restore my good creation. A human one is going to come to do that. Do you know what Jesus' favorite name for himself was in the Gospels? The Son of Man. Another way to translate that is the human one. The human one. The New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. 
And so where the first human failed, Jesus succeeds. Where the first humans separated us from God, Jesus brings us back to him. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. Genesis 3.15 is exactly about Jesus. He is the human one. And we see this, man. As he walked this earth, he brought dignity and worth to those whose society had pushed to the outside. And as he walked this earth, people found themselves, people who hated each other, found themselves in relationship with one another because of him. And that people everywhere had purpose as he invited them to take up their crosses and follow him. And he promised us life and life to the fullest. But see, most importantly, Jesus pursued God. And he pursued God for God's sake, even unto death. But as Jesus is in the garden, he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he did that so he went to the cross and took all the sin and all the death and all the brokenness that this world has to offer. And he did all that so that you might be brought back to God. So that you might come to know God. You might come to experience God and live life as it was meant to be in the beginning of the story. That you'd find your worth in him. That you'd find your purpose in him. And your relationships in him. And your pleasure in him. That you'd find your life in him. See, God starts this good story. And when things go bad, he doesn't just give us the boot and walk away. He doesn't send us away. No, no, no. When things go bad, he sends his son who enters into the story and brings us back to him and places us back in his story. And see, as we look throughout history, we see that as, as people come to realize that, as they come to see that this is the story of how the world works, that, that the good God created everything good, but, but sin has messed things up and, and we need to be brought back to him. We need to be made right before God and that happens through Jesus and now we can be a part of his story. When people grab a hold of that, incredible things happen. When people grab a hold of that, incredible things happen. Lives are changed. For example, there was a, uh, a plague that hit Caesarea uh, in, in the 4th century AD. Uh, it was before the Roman Empire was, was Christianized or whatever. And uh, this plague was really bad. And it was so bad that, that people were fleeing the city of Caesarea. They'd leave their friends and their family behind. They're just abandoning them as they leave the city. But there's a group of people who stuck around. And they attended not only to their own sick, but they took care of all the sick and dying all around them. And uh, the ancient historian Eusebius wrote about this. I'm just going to read it to you, what he wrote. The evidence of the Christians' zeal and piety was made clear to all the pagans. For example, they alone, in such a catastrophic state of affairs, gave practical evidence of their sympathy and philanthropy by works. All day long, some of them would diligently persevere in performing the last offices for the dying and burying them. For there were countless numbers and no one to look after them. While other Christians gathered together in a single assemblage all who were afflicted by famine throughout the whole city and would distribute bread to them all. When this became known, people glorified the God of the Christians and convinced by the deeds themselves, confessed the Christians alone were truly pious and God-fearing. 
It's 4th century AD. See, people can't resist a good story. So my prayer for you is that you'd live your life inside of God's story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for my friends. I give you thanks for this time to be together, to study your word, to think about what it is that you created all things good and that sin is marred and made a mess of things. But God, we pray in the midst of this brokenness that we'd see the hope that we have in Jesus, that he's restored us to you, that because of that, we take part in your story now, bringing this world back the way it was intended. God, I pray for my friends gathered here, that they'd see no matter who they are, where they're from, because of Jesus, they're invited to be a part of you. They're invited to be a part of your story. May they trust in that this day. Pray this all in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.